0: Say what?
1: I have one last shutter to Thinks, uh thing that I wanted to kind of get in with you. Cool. Um, and then I want to talk a little bit more about some of the other things that were going on in your life in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. I, I actually had moved for a while to Austin and it was terrible. I was literally, literally at the lowest point of my life and I was getting ready to move back to Detroit and the last day that I was there, literally I'd already packed my van and all my stuff like a drum set a bunch of guitar amps, a bunch of guitars, bass, all that stuff. But Shutter to Think was playing that night at Emo's, I believe, in, in Austin. Mm-hmm. And so I just went to go see it. I was just like, yeah, I'm going to have at least try to make the most of this experience in Austin. And I remember watching it and the show was decent, but it wasn't really the show itself that I remember. It's like afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, just remember that I was a person who was very much at his lowest. And these two people came up. To, it was a man and a woman. They introduced themselves and they were like, we want to know which one of us you're going to go home with tonight. <laughs> which uh, actually, I'm I'm very prudish, um, so I didn't go home with either one of them. But still, that was like a moment where like that'll that'll pick you up. That's a good pick up. Yeah. yeah, I felt like king of the world. Like I went from being like at my lowest to being like holy, I'm hot fucking shit. Like <laughs> I think I, I think I can safely
0: say that if the rest of the band knew that we had anything to do with inspiring that couple to proposition you, we would have felt like we did a really, really, really good day's work.
1: Welcome to episode six of the Random Redux Review podcast. Anyway, here's your host, Rudy Fishman. Oh my God, I can't believe that the guest in this particular episode is somebody that I got the opportunity to talk to. His name is Craig Wedron. Whether you've heard of him or not, I guarantee that artists you like have heard of him. He, over the years, has been in bands, most notably one called Shudder to Think. He was also, he was going on to do all sorts of soundtrack work. Uh, I think one thing that kind of says it all is the fact that artists from like the Deftones to Jeff Buckley, two artists who are extremely different, both laud this guy's abilities. Um, and all that being said, he is somebody who has been with me through all sorts of very pivotal moments in my life, both good and bad. He's taught me a lot about music. But beyond that, I think there's a lot just to be learned with how he, you know, approaches his music and has approached life that you can apply to your life, whether you're going through a really rough time or not. He is somebody who I think embodies the idea of try, explore you know, maybe there are rules but that doesn't mean you can't explore and find all the different unusual ways to bend the rules to live your life in a way that can bring you all sorts of satisfaction in ways you didn't really expect Anyway, something to think about as you hear him talk about his sort of musical experience and yes, his own cancer experience and many other things. just hope you enjoy this. To, to talk to you um i was i i've done probably about 2500 uh, interviews in my lifetime wow. just i used to work in tv doing documentary bad documentaries and stuff so yeah i've interviewed celebrities i've interviewed like killers historians scientists everything this is the one interview that I've done that really has me kind of all twisted in my head. So I'm really happy to... Be- really? Yeah. We'll get more into why that is. Um, okay. But um, it just seems like the more that I learn, but I was just doing a little bit of research. It's like the more I learn about you, the more like I'm just really fascinated Thank you. by you. And I think you're also a person. I think you're a person that I think people can get a lot from because it does seem like you are kind of a guy who has sort of marched to the beat of his own drummer, To a certain extent, and it's all worked out really well. I think it's part of that is because you've committed fully to it. So yeah,
0: yeah, there was no turning back after a certain point. Believe me, there have been many moments where I'm like, "Wait, really?"
1: And then it's like, "Yep." I'm sure there's a lot of things in your life that weren't the original plan, but
0: yeah, and in fact, that's something I I've been thinking about so much lately, and sort of reading about, and listening to podcasts about just this, you know, the uh, the the just our ideas about who we are versus
1: who we actually turn out to be. I first became familiar with the Craig, about 1991. It was my first year of college. I was into some very aggressive music at the time, and I was coming home for the summer, and I ordered some stuff from this record label, Discord. Most of it I had never heard of. I just figured I'd like some other stuff from that label. And uh, so i just give it a shot. I ordered, um, it was a cassette with Shudder to Think on it, and on the tape, I remember because back then, Discord wasn't like available in every single music store. So I actually mail ordered this. There was a note on it from some whoever worked at, you know, picked the order and packed it and sent it all. And it just said, you have good taste. And it had, it had a little smiley face on oh, it. That's and I was good. like, wow, this must be really, really good. Um, so I put it in. The first song on that was a song called Heaven Here. and I was just like, oh fuck, what is this shit? <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. I wasn't into it, but I decided to give it a chance. Most of yeah, just because yeah. That was,
0: that was most people's first reaction, or many people's first
1: reaction at first. At first. So the song progressed, and then there was the line. It was something about the phrase. That, like, I didn't know if that was if those were good lyrics or not. I just knew that I liked it. It was like there was a, yeah. a thing and that's a lot that I would say about yeah. a lot of your the way you sing is it's always not necessarily even about the words. It's about how you <laughs> say them, the phrasing, yeah. the, the tonality, the sound, how they interact with the music. I was pretty hooked, and then the song "Jade Dust Eyes" came on, and I was like, "Oh my god, what the fuck is this shit? It is fucking awesome." So, it was, so, it was, uh, so, so, 10 Spot" was your first. Yeah, the tape I I, I got in both Ten Spot and Funeral at the movies at the same time. Actually, part of the reason why I reached out to you is because I heard you be interviewed, or ne- the rest of Shutter to Think on the End on End podcast. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is for those of you who don't know. I mean, it's a good podcast, but it's not for everybody. It's definitely for Discord nerds, I think.
0: Yeah, it goes, People. it goes deep. It
1: goes <laughs> yeah. real deep. Yeah, and, and you know, they were, they were like, we love you know the movies, but we don't know about that ride that sexy horse song. But yeah, I, I was even <laughs> all in on ride that sexy horse. Song. I, on, on I actually shortly after hearing that, I actually yeah, went like, out and really bought fun. my first horse track and played around and made my own version of it and I was like I want to be weird and cool like that. <laughs> well, that was awesome. I mean that that is that is purely a result of you know four track um, experiments. I, I played those cassettes pretty much non-stop for the next couple of years along with some other stuff. Uh, I actually remember when you know, of the movies the cassette broke on me and my car tape my, my tape cassette player and Getting pissed off, and then fortunately, I think the CD had been released by that point. I,
0: I like that. I like that we broke your cassette player. It's like a-
1: analog breaking the internet. <laughs> I just have to think, and I have to ask too. It's just because while you guys emerged from what people would consider as sort of like a hardcore scene, and while you certainly had sort of like more aggressive sounds and approach and a lot of speed,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I wouldn't classify you guys as a straight hardcore band and any sense of the word especially no. because of the vocals i mean the, the just the instrumentation was different i mean mm-hmm. um but uh but especially the vocals like i mentioned that took a, a fair amount of just sort of raw balls well Sh- shutter to think before i joined shutter to think um they
0: were a dc hardcore band called Stooge. and if you listen to our very first record which is called curses you can hear sort of what they were before i joined and also hear what we would become and it was pretty fascinating because you know as teenagers in the 80s into hardcore we had also grown up on 70s classic rock and 80s new wave and first wave punk and probably like 60s psychedelic music and everything. But my singing style, because I didn't grow up in DC, I moved to DC in 11th grade. I had been living in Cleveland before that, singing in all sorts of different bands from top 40 bands to new wave bands, to experimental goth. We took what we could get, It just all sort of went into the blender. My uh, formative vocal training was really imitating Ozzy Osbourne and Steve Perry, but also Susie Sue from Susie and the Banshees and John Lydon from Sex Pistols. So I had sort of a strange influence of singers and I was never much of a screamer and I always loved melody. Like I came from a big melody family. like everybody sang along to the radio in my family. Um, like my mom was a Simon and Garfunkel chick, not a Bob Dylan girl, if that makes sense. it's it's prettier. and and my grandpa was like a big opera guy. So you know, I was coming from from melodic vocal music just sort of in my DNA. That said, um, we we were all into punk rock. And so when I came to DC and joined Shutter to think because their singer had gone off to college, I was joining a, a hardcore band but my singing style was just not hardcore it was melodic and you know i i don't know what you would call it there was some some faux opera in there not intentionally it was just sort of the way my voice sounded and something happened when at, at the at the audition sort of first rehearsal with shutter to think where Not it was sort of like the reaction that you said when when you heard ten spot it was like ooh I don't think any of us necessarily thought it was great but it was something and we just sort of needed to go deeper and come back for more and then pretty quickly we're like whoa this is this is something new and and if this is something new then we should really cultivate it because not that many fans or artists are are even well, I think everybody's capable of doing something original. But I don't think most people are fortunate enough to. Discover what is original in their imagination, and we sort of stumbled upon it. I mean, by that point in my life, originality, uniqueness, um, not adding to the trash heap of sameness. Was already like a pretty um, primary value in in my in my life and in the way I looked and in the things I like to read and the stuff I like to listen to, but somehow the combination felt really fresh and surprising, and so we just kept mining it sort of all the way to the bitter end.
1: Okay, so some of you are probably thinking, oh crap, Rudy's done it again. He is, this is just a a podcast about some band music and I maybe I've heard of this band, maybe I haven't, maybe I like the music, maybe I don't. But you know what, if that's what you're thinking, you're wrong. Um, Listen carefully to what he's saying. He's talking about being of stuck in a world where you're kind of defined by sort of expectations placed upon you um and that yeah sure they stumbled across something unique um but they're able to explore that and turn it into something even greater than just sort of an awesome moment it's uh you know i would say that this band would go on I mean, this band went on to influence so many others, and we'll hear a little bit more about that in a second. But just as you hear Craig, just as you listen to Craig talk, he comes back to this a lot, where it's just sort of like, I don't know, it just kind of works, so we kept going for it. I mean, this is even true in his solo material, which we'll also get into later in this particular episode. But I think there's a, a a lot of sort of food for thought in here to at least consider and how you live your life. Uh, it could just be like, hey, do I allow myself to be overwhelmed by a crappy diagnosis? Yeah, sure, it's crappy and there's rules that come along with that, but it doesn't mean that I need to do everything that's expected of me. You could still live a very interesting life continue to find very interesting things about yourself and do wonderful things. I mean, maybe it's not the same as the previous version of you, but that previous version of you was, let's be honest, was boring. I don't know, I'm babbling. I mean, why are you listening to me anyway? I'm, I have brain cancer. My brain is literally damaged. So I probably don't make a whole lot of sense anyway. Also, too musically, there was a lot of sort of like, I call it grotesque. Which don't take the wrong way, but yeah. it's like in no, the no. sort of the the traditional, very old of mixing beauty and ugliness. There's a lot of dissonance in there, yeah. but the dissonance yeah. is very sort of almost pop-like. Yeah, there are there, there are, there are all different kinds of beauty,
0: and and some of it's bloody.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was actually uh, gonna say, I think probably the perfect example, at least earlier in your career, was when you guys released the hit "Liquor Seven Inch." Like, to me, I think, like, I, 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 you know, I love the stuff before that, but to me, it feels like a lot of it is we're trying to pack weird into a pop song and put it Mm -hmm. together. By the time you guys got to "Hit Liquor," and then the album that came out after, it's like very much like. No, we're putting pop songs into weird stuff. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it, I mean, Hit Liquor. I remember when I first heard it. Heard it. Um, it was just sort of like, again, I had sort of that that reaction of like, I don't know if I liked this, and then I listened to it a second and third time, and I'm just like, this is a fucking masterpiece. This is awesome. <laughs> like, none of this makes sense structurally, yet it works. It's awesome, you know, it's, I just, I mean, I, to this day, I still love love that song. Thank you. I want to just go back just a second because I kind of got ahead of myself, but I was going to say that I think in many ways, um, you taught me to sing. Not that I'm a great singer or ever was a great singer, but you were doing such imaginative and creative things, and there was a very strong sense of melody that it very much moved me to sing along. And I'll also say that... Generally, you know, a lot of people sing along with music, but, you know, generally when I sing along, most music, I, I usually go an octave lower with you. I always try to match you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's very unique to, to specifically yeah. to you. I don't know what that is because your range is higher than mine, mm-hmm. but I would say in, in many, I wasn't trying to be like you, but I definitely, uh, influenced me and shaped how I viewed things like color and timbre and,
0: Oh, that's fantastic
1: and just approaching like you know what is a melody and i mean
0: that's what we were exploring you know uh, the edges how where where can where can a boy's voice go how can let's let's rethink phrasing what are lyrics um what about chords is, this isn't let, this isn't a chord that i've heard before and rhythms we were just sort of Playing because so much of what we loved was a little strange or frightening at first growing up and or was singular and unique in a certain way, didn't necessarily sound like anything we'd heard before, and it felt like there was so much conformity always in. In, in any genre, but also everywhere in life, that um, it seemed worthy. It's it, it it seemed worthwhile. It felt rich. It felt like a rich vein to mine, and it was so fun, and it still is, and so satisfying. I mean, I would say, you know, now as middle-aged adults we, or I'll just speak for myself, I I don't feel like I have anything to prove in the way that I did in my teens and 20s where you're really trying to, again, going back to the, the concept or the notion or the experience of identity where it's sort of all caps and you're trying to stake your claim or plant your flag or figure out who you are. Now it's just really pure play. Like, I have a new band called Flesh Car and it's a, it's an improvisational trio with a guy named Jarek Bischoff and a guy named, uh, uh, well, Jarek, Jarek plays bass and all the different melodic instruments. Jacob Richards plays drums and all the percussive elements and I'm the vocalist and do a lot of vocal manipulation, so regular vocals, but also looping and effects and things like that. So it's, um, again, it's purely exploratory. And I think all of us being older now than we used to be the last time we all played in bands, coming back to it at this age and stage with less to prove and just having a pure playground to explore personally, sonically, what can a voice do? What is a voice, especially with all of these gadgets that you can um, effect it through? And what's even a band? What's a song?
1: What is life? Yes, I'm getting weird again. That's okay. might just seem like Craig is talking about music, but at least to me, It's much more than that. As you could probably figure out, Shudder to Think didn't last forever, and we'll get more into that later. Craig has done a lot of different things in his life. Post Shudder to Think, just like Everything you've done in your life up to this point is in the past. future is the future. And just consider this. It's a shudder to think story, sort of. It's related to all of this. It's probably about 1995. I was very down and low after having failed to succeeded in my own sort of musical goals so living at home with my parents feeling very bad about myself i'd kind of gotten into photography as just sort of as a distraction i got the idea to call up some friends of mine uh, from my detroit days and ask them if they'd be into helping me make a movie My one friend, we'll call him Steve, talking to him on the phone, he said, people like us don't do things like that. In that case, it was punk rock kids playing in bands and things like that, slackers, I guess you could say. But really it could be applied Anybody who tries to put you in a box. I got off the phone with him, feeling kind of very annoyed and dismayed. And the TV just happened to be on. There was a show on. A comedy show called The State on MTV. And Think of it. With that show what you will. I thought it was good. Maybe you disagree. It doesn't matter. If everybody's entitled to an opinion. But I noticed that there was a theme song playing. It had a recognizable sample from a band called Nation of Ulysses that I really liked back in the day. Sharon so, action. Action. And so I was just intrigued. I watched the show some more. and saw the credits. And I saw in the credits the music was done by a guy named, you guessed it, Craig Wedren. I thought to myself, Craig has moved on to doing other really interesting things in his life that I'm sure people probably told him he couldn't do. So why couldn't I? I mean, I guess there are reasons why I couldn't, but there was no real tangible, like, hard reason why I couldn't do it if I applied myself and it. And I will just say that I got a little bit deeper into photography and eventually video and film. Did work in the entertainment industry for a while and within a decade I was a member of the Directors Guild. I don't know that that's necessarily a prestigious thing but it's not nothing. They don't let anybody into the Directors Guild. So I guess all I'm getting at is if you apply yourself maybe in ways that are a little bit different than the ways that people are trying to box you in, or maybe even you're trying to box yourself in, all sorts of things become possible. I guess that's what this exploration is about, because ultimately the start of it all has to begin with... Try. Try. Focus. Focus. Doesn't have to be something creative. Could just be getting a better job, improving your relationships. short, that's too bad, but shortcomings can also be a motivation, a way to explore, find new ways to go about whatever it is that you want to accomplish. No, you're not just cancer patient, you're not an alcoholic, you're much more than that, you're a human, capable of so much more, but you do have to try, you have to explore the possibilities of how you are tackling any issue in your life. And maybe bit by bit you'll get a little bit better and do all those things that nobody else thought you could do you could do those things you never thought you could do so I'd just like to end this sort of new agey sort of ramble session that I just did here with some A real I wanna end it with a real simple thought. Take this, use it however you like, but anytime somebody tells you, people like us don't do things like that. I want you to say this. Fuck you, Steve. I wound up seeing Shutter to Think probably five or six times. But the interesting thing is that I probably only went to go see Shutter to Think specifically maybe once or twice. Mm-hmm. It just seemed like you guys were always opening for bands that I yeah. was really interested yeah. in, which is, I think, says something also sort of about what you guys were doing. It's like maybe you were certainly the guys who were influencing the other guys. No, we were definitely a band's band. Like bands really liked us. Yeah, I, I remember... Sp- Specifically, one show at Detroit. You guys were playing at St. Andrews. Hall, you're opening for My Bloody Valentine. Yeah. And I remember you guys were playing Shake Your Halo down, and the crowd was just super, super into it. And then the next song, I think it was uh, funny off of Also Get Your Gut, the last uh-huh. song, and it pretty much cleared the place. Yeah. yeah. And then the next, and then the next song, like they were back. I think any, any band that can do that or us go that quickly from like having, having them in your, in your hands to not at all. And then back again, says a lot. Right, right, right. You guys are doing something right in my book. So that's good.
0: (laughs) I agree. I'm always attracted to artists and bands like that too. It's definitely um, challenging and arduous and at times painful to go through that on a daily basis for year, for years, But it was also satisfying and
1: and I think strengthening, you know, we definitely got tough. I am reminded of. I remember i was living in san francisco for a while and i remember uh the t was just on and an episode of beavis of butthead came on and i don't know if you want to talk about this or not but sure sure i love beavis and i love beavis and butthead's reaction to what was it hit liquor or was it yeah it, it, was, it was at, yeah it was at the hit Licker video the other mm-hmm. version the the second version of it that you guys did right. which is very similar just the, it's a slightly different recorded i think some of the vocals are slightly different but not much yeah. But anyway, you had the I don't know if it's an honor, but you know, you, you were the subject of of a little bit of ridicule by Beavis and Butthead. I have to mention that it's kind of, I I actually got pissed about it at the time, even though I remember that video making me very uncomfortable. <laughs> I was like, I like this band. I don't care if this video is
0: weird. We were pretty we were pretty psyched about the Beavis and Butthead reaction. It was some um... I think we were one of the only ba- bands who sort of left them speechless. There, I just remember along like. Uh...
1: <laughs> I want to get a little bit in the late '90s because of Falling Shutter to think, and then it seemed kind of like. It fizzled out a little bit. And I was yeah. like, yeah, maybe it just didn't go where they wanted it to go and blah, blah, blah. But there was more going on that I later learned. Mm-hmm. Um, if you could talk a little bit about what was going on with you in the late 90s. Sure. So um, we made our first
0: major label album, Pony Express record. And um, I started feeling I remember I was my, my girlfriend and I had broken up. I thought i was going to be a big rock star and you know couldn't be tied down like that it was i was i was i was half a prick i was half a really nice guy and half a prick which is to say i was a 24 year old lead singer and um so we'd broken up i was living with my friend jesse parrots who is a wonderful director and producer and had played bass in the Lemonheads, but was by the mid 90s Directing a lot of music videos for people like us and Foo Fighters and the Lemonheads. And I remember I started itching all over my body. And I went to a couple, few dermatologists. And everybody was, nobody could figure out what was wrong. Everybody was giving me sort of different ideas about what may or may not be happening. And I remember Jesse. Being very, very upset because I came home from one dermatologist who said they thought I had scabies, which meant we had to get rid of the furniture, get rid of some of the furniture and deep clean other the bed and the rug and whatever. And he was not too thrilled with me at that point as a roommate. Nothing wound up happening. It did. It was just to say it didn't get worse. and I guess maybe after a week or so it went away. My girlfriend and I, meanwhile, Shudder Think was touring. We were making videos. We were doing the whole thing. My girlfriend and I wound up getting back together. And at some point, when we were starting to write the follow-up to Pony Express record, so our second record for Epic, which ultimately was called 50,000 BC, a very different version of this skin condition came back. And at the time, I did not associate the two instances, the the non-scaties that had happened at Jesse's, and this almost biblical itching that I was getting under my arms, anywhere where there was sort of a, a, a nook or a crevice, like under my arms, behind my knees, my neck. I would go to sleep or I would try to go to sleep and the itching would be so intense that after a certain point, we would keep ice packs in the freezer, which I would round robin and put under my arms or under my legs just to get a little bit of sleep because cold masks itching. Heat magnifies it. Cold, it doesn't get rid of it, but it's like it distracts your mind from it. Like the cold is more extreme than the itching.
1: Yeah, I, I totally understand. I've been there um, and I'm sure people listening to this. I would say a lot of people who listen to this podcast are dealing with serious health issues. So interesting. I think they know, I think they know exactly what you're talking about. So. Got
0: it. Okay. So it was very bad. And, and I, I, you know, we were 20, I don't know, six, whatever, five, and therefore immortal. Didn't really have a doctor. Didn't have a GP general practitioner and i remember one night my aunt carol was in town my this was new york city probably 96 5 6 the band was going through a tough time we were trying to write this new record it it was it was no longer an all for one and one for all situation i was bringing ideas in which were very much a follow-up to pony express record and being met with less than team-like enthusiasm and it was extremely painful because at least for get your goat and pony express record i was really kind of steering the ship most of those ideas came from me it was very much my sensibility and i felt deeply about it you know going back to the idea of identity it was like, especially at that time, again, now I'm much less precious and more leathery. If somebody somebody doesn't like something and we're collaborating, I'm like, okay, let's try something else. But at the time, that music was me. Like I could not separate what I made from my idea of who I was. So it's extremely painful to bring those ideas in and have them met with sort of, if not resistance, then indifference. So everything was kind of fucked up at that point. And then this itching thing started and I wasn't sleeping. And I started getting very, very fatigued and tired, which I assumed was just from not sleeping, but which I'm sure was part of it. And my girlfriend and I lived in a fifth, or fifth-story walk-up in the East Village. My aunt Carol was in town from Cleveland, and we had just gone out to dinner. Came home, started walking up the stairs, and again, it was—it's five stories, so it was you know significant. But we were young, and I nearly collapsed about halfway up. You know, so let's call it the third floor, and I had to sit down, lean against the wall. My vision was swimming. I made it up to our apartment and we decided to stop effing around and to find a doctor. So I called, speaking of the state, I called um, our friend Carrie Kenny, who was in the state and was in a band with my girlfriend, a wonderful band called Cake Leg. She had a doctor whose name was Dr. Horbar, which is a great name. And he agreed to see me the next day, or we called him the next day, and he agreed to see me. He said, come right in. And he was uptown, Upper East Side. I went to go see him. I described my symptoms, and he said to me, ah, uh, this doesn't sound great. I need you to go down the street and get these series of x-rays. and make sure they give you the x-rays, put them in your hand, and then walk them right back to me. I'm going to wait here for you." He knew. So an hour or two, whatever, later I went went and got the x-rays. I walked them back to Dr. Horvath. I showed them to him and he said, okay, this was as I suspected, but hoped against. You have cancer. Obviously, to do a biopsy to make absolutely sure and figure out what kind it is but based on the sort of swollen lymph nodes I guess you could tell and the symptoms so they did a biopsy it turned out to be Hodgkin's disease which is a kind of lymphoma I, I didn't have uh, I mean I, did, I, I, I didn't even have a, a regular doctor let alone somebody as specialized and as, and, and as advanced as I needed for this. I didn't even have insurance. It turned out that somebody at the record label, this was so miraculous. Somebody at the record label discovered that I was covered by a union health insurance policy that like nobody knew about. So suddenly, I had a little bit of insurance, and Nathan, the guitar player in Shudder to Think, who was also one of my absolute best friends, his father happened to be the head of nuclear medicine at Sloan Kettering, which is the, the best cancer hospital in New York, and, and by extension, one of the best in the world so they got me they were able to get me in there right away and get to work i went through six months of chemotherapy and which was once every two weeks and then a month straight of radiation which was every single day or five days a week and uh during which time we wrote and recorded that experience really kind of brought everyone in the band back to their senses about like what's important. Actually afforded us a renewed sense of bondedness and collaboration. The doctors basically said, Don't know if your voice is gonna last through this process because they were radiating me basically from my lower chin to around my solar plexus, so my whole chest and neck, which included my throat. And particularly with radiation, it drives you to a nub. And they basically said you could lose your voice forever, you could. Lose your voice, not at all, never. Or, and, and we have no idea, or 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 it could be a temporary thing just uh, based on the treatment. So, because um, we can't make any guarantees. So, think as much as you can, as hard as you can, for as long as you can. During treatment, we wrote, recorded, yeah, we, we, we wrote, rehearsed, and recorded what became our final proper album of songs, 50,000 BC, I would literally have a gallon jug of water with me in the vocal booth while I was doing vocal takes. And between lines, I would just so I had some lubrication because there was no saliva in my throat. And then at the end of each day, a technician would have to go into the recordings and erase all of the water chugging in between lines, just so there were complete
1: vocal takes for these songs. Let me just quickly just say thank you for sharing this. Uh, I know that even though it wasn't like yesterday, but these sorts of, I've talked to enough people who have gone through it to know that it's a very personal sort of experience. And I imagine for what you were going through, it... Definitely. Um, even though you kind of were like, "Oh, the show must go on. We got to make this record." It's still heavy shit that you're dealing with and contemplating. Um, there are many, de- many details of what you're saying that are very familiar. I think across many cancer patients, is sort of like it kind of there being a delay in diagnosis, not being able to give you sort of straight answers on anything. All like doctors can do is give you educated guesses, and as you said, Sloan Kettering is definitely probably just all around one of the best cancer hospitals in the world. The one good thing is that you had a friend who had a doctor who kind of knew what they were doing and also um, you're at a very good institution.
0: Yeah, and and the blessing of the insurance was extraordinary. There were a lot of, little, lot of little miracles around that time and it wasn't, I wouldn't say, I was somehow not surprised, which is not to say I was imagining or expecting cancer, but I knew something was wrong. I knew I needed to change certain habits, but the treadmill was moving so fast, the hamster wheel, the machine, whatever you want to call it. that it, And we were so young that it was very, very hard. Those were things I thought I'd get to later. And so to be forced, Hit a to literally hit a concrete wall and be forced to stop as grievous as it was, as sad, that's the main feeling I remember is sadness and grief. Not anger, not I mean everybody has their own reaction, not denial. It was just. Yeah, that was the feeling. Okay, now's the time. And so it was just a very tender and very sad slowing down, but it was also filled with love from my parents, from my family, from my girlfriend, from my band, Mm -hmm. that there was a lot of beauty to it as well. And I think certainly. To whatever degree one is able to recognize in an emergency, and particularly at that age and stage, that nothing's going to be the same. I think even though we didn't know what that meant, nothing's going to be the same. We knew that it was true. You know, the the band broke up soon thereafter. My girlfriend and I broke up. Soon thereafter, I shifted focus. I mean, shudder to think had begun to shift from making records to composing music for film. But then when the band broke up, I started shifting to it was very difficult for me, and still is, really, to get excited or motivated about doing things like going on tour. Things became much more home and hearth and adult after that we knew that we didn't want to be on the road all the time our friend Jeff Buckley had died that was a real lightning bolt our friend Tim from Brainiac had died that too it was just it was just grim but then also the label epic was like listen we, we, we're we not going to be able to continue to support this enterprise if you don't have hits, you know, or something that we can promote that isn't like radically, as radically challenging. There was literally a sort of, sort of infamous meeting where they were like, you yeah, know, we need hits. And we sort of asked them, well, what's a hit? And they said, well, you know, closing time by semisonic. And we were like, oh, okay, but it just wasn't what we were going to do. And then the other thing was that was getting popular was tool and corn and stuff like that, and we weren't really going to do that either. It was pretty chaotic. Things were pulling apart interpersonally, and I was very sick. So there maybe wasn't quite the um all for one and one for all focused and everybody not just me but the whole band we were all thinking about my health
1: listening to you talk about this and just sort of like the gradual like change to soundtrack work i mean i can see where soundtrack work is really good for you because i mean so much of it is like you're creating moments it doesn't necessarily have to be a full song it could just be like an interesting like motif of 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 notes and rhythms and things like that and I think that fits very much in I think one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you and have people hear you talk about this sort of stuff is that I think it sort of reveals sort of like another element of Mm -hmm. your I don't want to say character but your approach to sort of creative Mm -hmm. things and just life which is like you're accepting, okay, this band is not going quite the way we want it to at this point. Um, there's these other opportunities. You are very much adapting to the situation. Like I'm big on like, don't take no for an answer. There's something you want to do. Figure it out. And I think sometimes that takes adaptation. And I feel like that's kind of what you're saying between the lines, which is, Okay, maybe we thought we were going to be these huge international rock stars. They didn't quite handle happen that way. We came close, but no cigar. We're just a little too weird for, for the people to handle. But you still want to be yourself. You still want to be a little weird. How can I approach this and do this and still get satisfaction? So it seems like this was, you know, for the next 15 years to where we are now, alternating between soundtrack work, doing some solo records, as well as... You know, I think there was an, a band, Baby, I think you were in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which was more of like a
0: dance, it was sort of like electronic pop dance band. At that point, I was so, I had such an allergy to being pigeonholed and getting stuck. We were very ambitious and very honest about our commercial ambitions. But the truth is, when you become successful, people expect you to repeat the success formula or to do some variation on it that isn't too far from the formula so that you, so that, you know, everybody's getting the thing that, that, that they made you successful for. But that wasn't ever what we wanted. And by the time we broke up, I think we were feeling kind of like a little bit of a slave to our own Frankenstein. And so I personally just did a whole lot of other stuff and all the stuff that i had maybe thought about doing but wouldn't have let myself do in my 20s or in the 90s or while i was in shutter to think because it would have just been confusing because i knew that personally creatively my ambition was and remains that i want to have the the luxury and the gift of being able to do anything I want without having to beg, borrow and steal and convince people to let me do it.
1: Okay, so what Craig is saying may come across as sort of selfish pie in the sky type talk. But I think when you really think about it, it's not. You only have one life. What is it that you want to do with it? I think we've all firmly established and realized that life is full of many terrible surprises. But it also has many wonderful surprises as well. And I think it comes down to are you going to appreciate those moments as they arise? Are you going to take advantage of the situations that it can allow you to get a little bit closer to whatever it is that you're hoping for in this life? I talked earlier about trying. Yes, you'll try and you may fail many times along the way but just remember every loss is an opportunity to learn i know that sounds a little little diminishing to folks going through a hard time where just bad things seem to be happening over and over and over again trust me i know firsthand having been told terrible terrible health news several times what that's like, but a lot, many of those terrible moments have, have given me an opportunity to learn, to reflect, to learn, to make adjustments, even if they're small, just get a little bit more enjoyment out of life, perhaps improve at a few things and inch ever so closely to a better life even if that life is ending soon no I'm not talking about like the get hit by the bus type bullshit talk I'm talking about what is your question what is the one thing you want more than anything else. You're allowed to be selfish and pie in the sky. We only have so much time. I would even say that, you know, just I think like every Shutter to Think album, I mean, they all sound like Shudder to Think, but they're all different. They each have their own personalities. I would say the same thing is true of your solo stuff where they all have their own personalities. You know, you get to adult design where it's very electronic-y, which is like a whole universe different than anything Shudder to Think was. I still like it, right? but it's also still got that same sort of like weirdness where like, okay, this is how songs are put together, but we're going to see how far we can go and push the limits not to break the rules but just bend them as far as we can yeah yeah it's like it's i think of music or songs it's taffy
0: and you just like pull the taffy as far as you can and see what kind of shapes it makes <laughs>
1: What kind of cancer did you have? I have brain cancer, um, and so like, and it's in my cerebellum and my brainstem. So there's some like, like my left hand has really bad coordination. So I've worked very, very hard just to do simple things like just switch chords. Mm-hmm. Like th- that's hard. So um, other thing, i was on a, a, a drug of called Avastin, which messes with uh, your voice. I mean, I'm not going to say I was ever really a great singer. I was okay. I had my my areas that I could handle pretty well. But then also just not really singing for a good chunk of my adult life. And then also being on the bass one, which ro- robs you of tonal control. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably the big thing and pitch control. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I can kind of make the sounds. They don't sound terrible, but it's not mm-hmm. musical. It's just like, oh, I'm singing and it's kind of in key and whatever, but I don't like to do anything in a straightforward manner, Um, so you could probably hear a little bit in my voice. Sometimes I kind of slur a little bit; it comes out at different times. Um, So I took had speech therapy, but I get very bored with sort of the red leather, yellow leather type exercises. So the way I've adapted is actually using a lot of your lyrics, just because you know some of the lines are great for enunciation. Wow. And plus I just, I like the songs. I have fond memories of hearing them. So there's sort of that memory trigger that, that I get from it. Yeah, sure, sure. There's a there's an emotional connection to it. I, I think it's rag is probably the one that I probably do the most, which is like. Oh yeah, well that's the most sort of doctor Susie poor in need of hose, spend three cents on thin ski pants. It's like, that is a line made for speech therapy, so. Uh Uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. (laughs) And then on top of that, just trying to find my voice again. I mean, you helped me out the first time, you know, back in the 90s when I was trying to figure out how to sing in these post-punk bands that didn't really go anywhere. And now I'm just doing these songs and um, trying to teach myself to sing again. It's like I sing along with a lot of different artists, but probably the one I sing along the most is... Craig Wedge and various projects so thank you very much for that it really is very helpful I'm um, hopeful that other people uh, who are bored with traditional speech therapy also seek out your music
0: oh my god what a funny niche I would love that I mean you never know once once you make something it takes on a life of its own it's incredible it's beautiful <laughs> Falling.
1: Well I would say I would say certainly uh cancer, at least what my particular cancer, the way it's impacted me is that it's very much had me sort of it's i think it's opened up a lot of sort of creative channels in me that i had kind of put to bed a while ago just as i pursued other things in adulthood mm-hmm. and i do find myself going back i think yep listening to some of the music that that you've done as a way of sort of oh yeah like opening up my mind yeah you know, how can we fuck with shit and make it more interesting Thing- So over the last twenty years, Craig has been very busy, obviously doing soundtrack work. I will put a list in the um, episode description that kind of sort of the highlights of some of the things he's done soundtrack work for, because it's quite lengthy. He's also put out a number of solo albums and releases. Uh, one song in particular that I'm actually a huge fan of is called "A Two Priest." It's on the Adult Design. Album came out around 2017. But probably the thing that is, has become, since I've discovered it, most part of my daily life is his ongoing project, Sabbath Sessions. I don't know how exactly it started, but there was a podcast, there's about 12 or 13 episodes that you can find in various platforms. He's had a number of YouTube videos that are related to it. I, th- I know he also performs it live. Sometimes, but anyway, I've gotten a lot of value from it. It's very meditative. And for those of you know me, I'm really not very good at meditation. So anything that can get me to kind of be more in the moment and sort of just think about things uh, more deeply, I think is a good thing. Anyway, here's more about Sabbath sessions. I
0: often think... The things I most love and probably some of the things I regret usually start with a question. What makes you feel whole and where do you feel most yourself? What is your life asking of you? Not what are you asking of your life, which is frequently how we look at it, but what is life asking of you? I believe my future is determined by the questions I ask. Asking the right ones. Attunement. Atonement. Atonal. Atonement. Wonder from one minute to the next. That's what this is. It's Sabbath sessions. In Yeah, um, it came out of Sabbath Sessions. So basically, here's what Sabbath Sessions are. I I have a looping device that I sing into, and it's all improvised vocalization. Nothing's planned. Whatever I sing into the looper, the looper records, and then I can start stacking layers of other... I can I can basically stack my voice and 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 create a a choral it's like an ambient choral experience it's sort of like an ocean of voice um there aren't really lyrics or words per se but sometimes phonetics that sound word-ish and sometimes a word or a phrase will come out I think similarly there are melodies that sort of are hinted at, but that never quite come to fruition. I like music like that. I like listening to music like that. And I like performing music like that because it awakens my imagination. I'm not given everything. So I can't be lazy, right? I'm engaged creatively. You wind up hearing things that might be there, that aren't there. You hear ghost tones, tones and melodies that exist and some that don't exist. You hear words that aren't really there. So I think there's a, to what you're saying, I hope, at least for me, there's an engagement with an almost dream state imagination where you're conscious, but only half conscious. You're not quite asleep. You're meditating, but you're not. It's more like a kind of a dream trance where you, the listener, start collaborating with me, the, um, the singer or composer or whatever. And whatever you hear or think you're hearing is a whole other thing. Like, that's your composition.
1: Remember earlier when I asked you, what is your question? Well, now's a good time to think about that. Let Craig help you listen to his voice. Listen to the different layers. Each layer is a possibility. Now take your question and imagine all the possibilities. Sure, try to apply some of these things in real life. You'll fall short. It's okay. This is a safe space to just explore. And I get that some of you are probably thinking like, yeah, it's kind of obvious. This is the sort of stuff everybody should be doing on a regular basis on some level. But you know what? It never hurts to get a reminder. I, I think the value in it, like I think there is a lot of value in it. It's just like, for me, it's, uh, it's not just music. It's not just like say meditation. It's a way of working out things in your head. Like just thinking about a situation. And I think allowing yourself to kind of like just go with the flow and just see what happens, like working out ideas in your head. I think it's, uh, I, I think it's, I think it's wonderful that you, you're doing that. Oh, that's
0: amazing. That makes me really, really happy to hear that. Cause, um, that's one of those things that. So when I when I do Sabbath sessions live, I can see how it's affecting people. So I really appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah, well, the whole the the whole theme, I mean, for almost I don't know, I'd say the last eight years or so, increasingly is all about has been all about impermanence. And I feel like, speaking of Sabbath sessions and meditation and and dealing with parents in decline and raising children and the just the natural things that come along with middle age. Also, I had a massive heart attack three years ago, or like out of the blue, like total lightning bolt, which is probably related in some way to tissue, long-term tissue damage from um, chemo and or radiation, because I take very good care of myself I'm pretty healthy uh, but so this idea of impermanence and of I mean I'll just be I'll say it bluntly imminent death and demise right like imminent meaning sooner or later some way or another which fact is easily avoidable for about the first half of one's life it's like I, I mean even when I had cancer in my 20s it just didn't penetrate in the way that it does now, where it's real as fuck. And in the way that you live with it as an everyday reality, I imagine. The, the experience of change, where like a day or a moment can feel so drawn out and boring, but then everything shifts instantly, forever. And the reality of impermanence permeating all of it. And somehow, the the felt, visceral experience of them has been much more profound over the last few years i would say heart attack it's like every, it's like everything at once all of the feelings all of the colors life death grief joy uh uh boredom and ecstasy it's just very strange you know maybe in some ways people with a history, we're more able to adapt, take it in stride, it's less shocking. Well, I'm curious, um, how's your health? Like, where are you at with your diagnosis and treatment?
1: It's a good question, because um, actually this last September 9th was the third date that I was told to expect to be dead by. The, the third? Third, yeah, the third expiration date, as I call it. So I'm doing all right. I have issues, but everybody's got their own shit to deal with in a lot of different ways. It's another pile of shit. There's some issues of the clock is ticking, but do I want to let that sort of dictate how I live my life? It doesn't need to be scary. I think uh, talking about it, normalizing a little bit is helpful. I feel the need to sort of do what I can while I can. I guess sing as long as I can, much like you were told. So I'm going to reach out to people like you and talk to you.
0: Right on, man. I'm so glad you reached out to me. This is uh,
1: deep. Congratulations. You made it through a very sort of, in some ways, intense episode. I'm still reeling, it was such a deep, deep Sorry, I'm crying again. Anyway, I'm deeply honored that Craig was willing to speak with me. He really is somebody who has been very pivotal in my life, but He's not the only one. Next week, I'll be speaking to another person who I respect deeply and a brain tumor person. His name is Bill Stevenson. You may have heard some of the bands he's been in. Descendants, Black Flag, all. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. New episodes of the R3 podcast most Sundays. See the episode description for notes and where to find more online.